You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. thankful for brother and sister robertson and their um what they add to this church and brother robertson is going to minister to us the word of the lord tonight amen we love and appreciate this family and thank god that he is you know it's nine years this month nine years this month since the robertsons arrived at mission point and it seems like it seems like just 20 minutes <laughs> underwater no i'm just teasing i'm just teasing no, I, this, this family right here, of course, I was teasing Brother Robertson today. Sister Robertson came in under our ministry in Miramichi, so she's got a special place in her heart. And then we added Brother Robertson to that. No. Wonderful, wonderful family. We love and appreciate Brother Robertson. He's uh, like a, uh, a right-hand man to me, and I love and appreciate Brother. Come and minister the word of the Lord. Amen. Do you appreciate the Robertsons tonight? Amen. Just before he ministers, I want to, one more thing I forgot, I welcome our Bible college students tonight, Sister Zoe, thank you for being with us, and Daniel, and I don't know if the rest are here, but we have five Bible college students at NCC this year, and they're home for Christmas break, so we're thankful that that we get to spend some time with them, amen. God bless you tonight. Amen. I wonder if we could one more time just lift up our hands and worship and praise. Ask God to have his way in this place. God, we are so thankful for your presence that we've already felt in this place. You've ministered to hearts already in the service. Lord, but you've got plans for so much more. God, so we reach out to you again here right now in faith believing that you are going to touch each and every person in this place by the power of your presence. We give you the praise here today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have the wonderful privilege to speak to you once again here tonight from the Word of the Lord. And just for a few moments here tonight, I'm going to be speaking to you on this topic, the gift of the Redeemer. The gift of the Redeemer. Amen. In a word, redemption is the theme of the Bible. When God created the world and formed man, Adam, and then formed woman, Eve, out of man, we belonged to God. Humanity was created in his image, his special treasure. Above all other creations he had made, but something happened. A questioning of God's word, disobedience, sin. And as a result of sin, Adam and Eve became estranged from God, but God wanted them back. He wanted that communication back, that relationship back. The story of Adam and Eve is the story of us all. We were born into this sinful world, and something happened. We sinned, became estranged from God. But his plan since the beginning was to redeem us. Somebody say to redeem us. To buy us back from the grips of sin. And we see this theme of redemption throughout the pages of our Bible. Of, as we turn from story after story, we see it in the story of Joseph. We see it in God's deliverance of Israel from the land of Egypt. We see it in the laws that God gave to protect the people of Israel. 
We see it in the romance between Ruth and Boaz that we talked about the past two Wednesdays. Most of the time, in the Old Testament, redemption had to do with physical things. God redeemed his people from calamities they encountered in life. It had to do mostly with property. But even in the Old Testament, there is seen this hint of redemption as being something more. God is seen as the redeemer of Israel. David, he would say, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. He came to know him as his redeemer. God is seen as the redeemer of Israel. Whenever Israel would get themselves into trouble, God would come to the rescue and deliver them. He would redeem them. As a nation, they traded their high and exalted position as God's people for the momentary pleasure of sin. Just like Esau trading his birthright for a bowl of soup, a bowl of lentils. Sin was at the root of the problem. In the New Testament, sin is still the root of the problem, but the problem is more severe than just an unpleasant circumstance in which we find ourselves. The stakes are eternal. Our eternal existence is in jeopardy. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 Paul, he writes this letter to the church in Ephesus, and he writes in a way that it gives us a glimpse at the depths of God's love for us. In verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Somebody's thankful for the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. In him. Him. Just think about that for a moment. In Him. The first two words of our text describe for us the place where redemption may be found. In Him. In Christ. Redemption is in Christ. And if we are not in Christ, then we have not received that redemption. But in Christ, in Christ, oh, we are redeemed. If you have your Bibles in front of you tonight, do yourself a favor and just Look, skim through the first chapter of Ephesus for just a moment and notice how many times the expression in Christ or in Him is found. Verse 3, it says, He has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, He chose us before the foundation of the earth to be blameless in Him. Verse 7, in Him we have redemption. Verse 11, in Him we have obtained an eternal inheritance. Verse 13, in him you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. In him or in Christ is found 22 times in this book that he writes to the church in Ephesus. But how do we get in Christ? The expression in Christ is found 84 times in whole throughout the New Testament, but only three times is the expression into Christ found. And I don't think that it's any coincidence here tonight that two of those three times that the expression into Christ is found is that it is in connection to baptism. Romans chapter 6 verse 3, it says, it states this, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Galatians chapter 3 verse 27, it tells us, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So this much we know. That redemption is in Christ, and we come into Christ through baptism. If you are anything like me, when I go to a fast food restaurant, 
you'll begin searching the dash of the car for coupons. I don't know how many of you are like, I, I don't need a show of hands or anything like that, but I start searching the dash of the car for coupons. I've got, uh, I, I've got multiple apps on my phone that I scroll to depending upon what fast food or restaurant we're driving into. And I go to that and I see what kind of deals they've got on. And uh, s- sometimes it's one of those two can dine for $11.99 or maybe with inflation it's two can dine for $22.99. I don't know. Um, and other times it's get a large fry with any purchase. Either way, I don't know what it does to you. But to me, it, it makes me feel as though I have received some sort of bargain. It may not be the case. Maybe they're marking up the meal and then taking off the coupon. I don't know, but it makes me feel like I am getting some sort of bargain. And the effort and the the time that it takes for me to find my poor wife, she'll be sitting there and she's like, "Hun, people are waiting behind us. We've got to get going along in this line. But I'm just trying to find that coupon. But the, the effort and the time that it takes for me to find and use that coupon is nothing compared to the cost savings. So I'll dig out those coupons and, in effect, stretch the almighty dollar. The point is this. Ordinarily, when we want to redeem something, it doesn't cost us a whole lot to redeem. So we don't really appreciate it nearly as much as if it would cost you, let's say, your life to redeem. Because when it came to redeeming us from the clutches of sin, it cost the Lord his life. It cost his own precious blood. He gave his life so that we could be redeemed. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12, it tells us that Christ entered once for all. Somebody say, for all. Into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood thus securing an eternal redemption. God did not just wave some magic wand or push a button on some cosmic control panel to secure our redemption. The price that he paid was his life. And so when we are tempted to sin, when sin comes knocking on our door, we remember what it cost for God to redeem us. We remember that we are not our own. We were purchased with the with the cost. Ephesians chapter 1, it says that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of, of sins. Some other translations say trespasses. When we use the word trespass today, we usually think of it in terms of going onto someone else's property without permission. And, well, it's not all that different regarding sin. There are some places that God doesn't want us to go. He has posted the area clearly with large signs. Wouldn't it be nice Sometimes if you just go through life and you see those large signs from God, no trespassing, keep out. The words that God chose are, thou shalt not. But the message is just as clear. God has put certain things off limits to us. We are his creation, the sheep of his pasture, David writes, his children. And as his children, there are things that he has put guardrails up against. He doesn't want us falling over the edge. We've just finished a 12-week series on MP Foundations outlining the biblical doctrines that we, because we love the Lord, follow today. Are they always convenient? No. No, they aren't. Do they make us stand out? Absolutely. 
But that was God's point. Be separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. How many of us tonight want to be received by the Lord? Then to you who do, the Lord asks for us to be separate. I love my kids. And because I love them so much, I correct them when they're wrong. I guide them to make the right decisions. And sometimes my wife and I make decisions for them because we know what is best for them. Guardrails against pitfalls. God, God knew we would be bombarded by this world distracted and disillusioned. And so he made commandments and statutes, and David came to say in Psalm 119, how I love thy statutes. But I'm so thankful that he didn't just stop there. He made a way for his spirit to live inside of us so that we have his saving power within us to keep us from falling. And some would argue this and say that the Bible tells us that we are saved by faith. Not by works, lest anyone should boast. And I would tell you that the word of God is completely accurate. But your understanding of it might not be. Our works don't save us. You are right. His work does. The work he did on the cross. The work he did to bring us salvation. That's what saves us. We are privileged to receive his salvation as a gift. We didn't earn it. We didn't do the work. So we reach out to God in faith, believing that he is faithful and just to forgive like his word says. And guess what? He forgives you. You act out of faith and step into the baptismal tank and are baptized for the washing away of your sins in the name of Jesus Christ. And he is the one who does the work by applying his own precious blood. And he places his own name on your life and clothes you with his righteousness. He does the work. You step out in faith and ask God to fill you with his spirit and the promise he made and that he would not leave us comfortless, but that he would come to us. And guess what? He comes in us and we are changed, not because of our works, but because of his work. You show me a man who is saved solely by his faith and I will show you a man who through his faith claimed the works God did for him. Still, some will ask the question, is it a heaven or hell issue or do you need to do it to be saved? And again, you would be asking the wrong question. Because basically what is being asked is, how little do I have to do to squeeze into the kingdom of heaven? Can you imagine if I asked my wife when I got married, what little do I have to do just to get by and make you still think that I love you? Can you imagine what kind of marriage that that would be? As name bearers, Listen tonight, as name bearers, we bear his name. As name bearers of Jesus Christ, we follow biblical commands and statutes. Not because they make us saved, we do them because we are saved. We follow them because we want to please the Lord. Oh, the redeeming work of the cross. Sure, we stick out in this world, and what a privilege. What a privilege it is to be the name bearers of the one true king. Of course, none of us are perfect. We mess up. We make mistakes. And when we do what God has told us not to do, or we fail to do what God has commanded, we are trespassing against God. To trespass against God is just another way of saying that we have sinned against him. The word of God tells us the wages of sin is death. And when we sin against God, what we deserve is death. 
But God, in his rich mercy, has redeemed us. He has forgiven our trespasses. And so when we do stumble and fall, and we will, as much as we try not to and we don't want to, Paul, he said, I want to do good, but I don't. But when we do, then there is his grace. You know what else is included in this redemption? Justification. Not only are our sins forgiven, but we are seen by God as though we had never sinned. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That includes each and every one of us here tonight. And are justified by his grace as a gift. Somebody say that tonight. As a gift. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We are justified through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption from the curse of the law. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, it tells us Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. The law had blessings for those who kept the law and curses, negative consequences for those who violated the law. Because we have all violated the law, we are under a curse. But Christ became a curse for us to redeem us from that curse. I'm going to see how intricately intricately God planned all things. When Christ was crucified, his accusers, by having him hung on a tree, were in effect proclaiming that Jesus could not be the Messiah that he was, in their opinion, cursed by God because the law states a hanged man is cursed by God. But the resurrection of Christ on the third day, it vindicates him from his accusation against him. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Timothy chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Sin is frequently described as a form of slavery, something that we don't control. We'd like to think that we do at times, but we don't control. It becomes a vicious cycle that's impossible to escape on our own. There is a way out, though. There is a way out. God redeems us from the power and pull of sin. and We have this promise from God from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it tells us, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is a way of escape, but we must seek it and take it. We can be free from the pull and power of sin over us. And not only this, but in Galatians chapter 4, verse 5, it tells us that we were redeemed so that we might receive adoption as sons. Isn't the love for God so great? He likens himself to the father in the parable of the prodigal son. If you've never read it before, I suggest you do, Luke chapter 15. In this parable, the son had taken his inheritance early from his father. He said, I want, I want what's coming to me. I want mine. And so he takes this inheritance, and he left home. And there, the Bible says, he wasted his possessions foolishly. Yet when he came to his senses, he realized that it would 
be better to be a slave in his father's house than to be in the mess that he was in now. And so as he returned home, his father was waiting for him to welcome him back, not as a slave, not as a servant, but as a son. And Jesus, he tells us this parable, this story, to explain to us what his love is like toward us. In Romans chapter 8, verse 23, we find that it is not only our souls, but our bodies that will be redeemed as well. But, and it says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. When we die, our spirit leaves the body and returns to God, as found in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 53, when the time is right, Christ will return to this world, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and mortality will put on immortality. The bodies that we have now, they are for a particular purpose, but they're not well suited for eternity. How... how how well is yours lasting? <laughs> from the moment that we are born, they start to wear out. Our immune system, it doesn't protect us from every disease. Our cardiovascular system, it becomes overtaxed. Our nervous system deteriorates. Our muscles grow weak and our bones become brittle. And eventually, we just wear out. We take steps slower to get to where we are trying to go. God has prepared these souls of ours to live forever, and he's planned for us to receive new and improved bodies that will never wear out, the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. God has been so good. We deserve none of that which God has already blessed us, none of that which he has already promised to bless us. God has not only been kind and merciful to poor, wretched sinners, such am I. He has been extravagant. He doesn't just cut a little slack. He piles his favors up to the sky. Our cup overflows. His grace is unending and always abounding forever. Greater than we could ever imagine that it would. Jesus described the mercy of God as a, as a great banquet offered by the king. Luke chapter 14. Um, in the parable, those invited to this great banquet, they had other plans. So the master of the house canceled their invitations and invited the crippled, the lame, and the blind. His audience would have been shocked to hear this story as Jesus begins describing the people the king invited to his table because the ones he first invited excused themselves out of the meal. You see, it is you and I who are crippled and blind and lame, us who are sometimes far off, are brought nigh by the, what? By the blood. It is we who have been invited to the king's banquet. I like to eat. How many like to eat? It's become quite a, a, a daily ritual for me. <laughs> and so I can relate to banquet metaphors. I'm so glad that Jesus used this in the scripture so that we could understand what he was talking about. But it is not food that is displayed on this banquet table. It is God's grace in abundant supply to whoever will come to the table. The kingdom of heaven is nothing like this world. In the Hebrew or in the original language of the Old Testament, there are three different words that are translated as redeemed. One word was a legal term that specified 
a price that had to be paid. No way around it. This price has to be paid. Another word was used in the case of someone losing their property. A family member could pay the debt to buy that property. A family member could redeem that property. The same word could be used in the case of someone being sold into slavery because of a debt they could not pay. Again, a family member could pay their debt and they could be freed or redeemed. And then the third word, which meant that a payment could be made to cover, to protect, or to redeem a life that should be forfeited. You see, when Jesus redeemed you and I, he did all three. He paid the price to redeem us so that we could be free and covered in his righteousness. Dr. Clay Jackson, when we were with him at Equip Conference, he said a statement that I wrote down. I, I didn't want to forget it. He said, now, everywhere we are seeing signs telling us, you are enough. You ever see a sign that says that you are enough? Encouraging signs. But he said this. He says, I disagree with that completely. We are not enough. But I've come to learn that he is. His mercy is enough. His grace is enough. His love for us is enough. He is enough. An article that was reported in the Los Angeles Times in November 1986 was about a gemstone broker who went to the Tucson, Arizona gem and uh, mineral show. He bypassed rows and rows of unpolished stones and polished stones and the more professional brokers that they were selling. And he went to the amateur section and he started digging around in the plates and bowls and shoe boxes that people had full of stones. And then he noticed a blue-violet stone about the size and shape of a potato. And that's relatable to us here in New Brunswick. <laughs> we all know what a potato is. He looked it over, and then as calmly as possible, asked the vendor if he would take $15 for the stone. The seller, realizing the rock wasn't as pretty as others in the bin, he lowered the price to $10. Now oh, you can have it for $10. The stone was later certified as a 1,905 carat natural star sapphire, about 800 carats larger than the largest stone of its kind ever previously seen. It was appraised at $2.28 million. You see, it took a lover of stones to recognize its worth. And let me tell you tonight that it took the lover of souls to recognize the true value of you. Fanny Crosby, she was a prolific poet and hymn writer. She was born on March 24th, 1880 in Brewster, New York, at the age of six weeks, six week old. Uh, she caught a cold that led to inflammation in her eyes, and the doctor that came in to see her, he, um, he didn't know how to properly help her, and so he applied medicine to her eyes that ended up leaving her blinded. And by the age of eight, Crosby wrote her first poem. This was the first poem in what would become over 9,000 that Fan Crosby wrote over her lifetime. She would go on to write songs, songs like, To God Be the Glory, Safe in the Arms of Jesus, songs like, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross, and Blessed Assurance. 
And from a young age, Crosby learned about the love of God at the knee of her grandmother, who would read to her from the Bible and taught her how to pray. And in the fall of 1850, Crosby, she was invited to attend revival meetings with her friend Theodore Camp. And at first she said no. She hesitated and said no. But that night she had a very disturbing dream. Something shook her in her sleep. Fanny described the dream in the following way. This is how she wrote it. She said, it seemed that the sky had been cloudy for a number of days. And finally, someone came to me and said that Mr. Camp desired to see me at once. Then I, thought I entered the room, then I thought I entered the room and found him very ill. The dying camp asked if she would meet him in heaven after their deaths. Yes, I will, Fanny said, God helping me. This was the response she had given her dying grandmother. In the dream, just before he died, camp admonished, Remember, you promised a dying man. Fanny recorded, Then the clouds seemed to roll from my spirit, and I awoke from the dream with a start. I could not forget those words. Will you meet me in heaven? And although my friend was perfectly well, I began to consider whether I could really meet him or any other acquaintance. Fanny Crosby attended those camp meetings, and the blind poet went to the altar, not once, but twice. She returned to her seat, and then God prompted her the third time to go back up to the altar. Crosby made her way to the altar on November 20th. She was anxious. She was frustrated. And this time she was frantic. And this is what she said. She said, it seemed to me that the light must come then or never. And Crosby was the only person in the altar that night. The congregation began to sing Isaac Watton's congregational hymn, Alas, and Did My Savior Bleed? And at the fifth and last verse where it says, Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. It happened. Suddenly, Fanny felt, she said, my very soul was flooded with light. She leaped to her feet and shouted, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, in her excitement. Because for the first time, she realized that she had been trying to hold the world in one hand and the Lord in the other. If I could have the music come back at this time. It was then that Crosby wrote the words to the hymn that we have in our hymnals today titled, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It. Once she was asked, is there a special hymn written for your conversion experience? And finally, she reflected back to this song. And she began to sing, Redeemed, How I Love to Proclaim It, Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb, Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child and forever I am. The last verse, she wrote this. She penned these words. I know I shall see in his beauty the king in whose way I delight, who lovingly guardeth my footsteps and giveth me songs in the night. She was looking forward to the day that she would see the one who redeemed her and gave her those songs that kept her in the night. The plan of redemption is the ultimate demonstration of the wisdom of God. While Christ was hanging on the cross, Satan must have been thinking that he had won. He must have thought he had defeated God. But God was not defeated. He snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. O death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us, But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's redemption. It is the story of God's love. He had you once. That sounded costly. (laughs) If we could all stand. He had you once. And then he lost, he lost us to sin. He wanted us back. And he secured your redemption through his own precious blood. He paid the greatest price to redeem you. And now he is preparing a feast for whoever will come to the table. Everyone is invited. The poor, the rich, the lame, the whole, the blind, the beggar, the addict, the friend, the foe, his child, forever you are. And we can come tonight and express like Paul did to the church in Corinth when he wrote this in the very last last part of chapter 9 of 2 Corinthians. He said, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. I can't describe it for you. I can't tell you what it's like. You've got to experience it yourself. I can't tell you what it's like to feel the grace of God sweep all of your sins away. I can't tell you what it feels like to have God's love surround you in the darkest of nights. You've got to experience it for yourself. So you may ask the question here tonight, what was the gift of the Redeemer? Well, I believe Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 tells us that. And she shall bring forth a son. She shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. He gave himself. That was the gift. And tonight, if you need saving, if you need redeeming, he has already paid the price. You may not have a lot to offer to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, but none of us do. I invite everyone to come here tonight and offer themselves once again to the Almighty Redeemer. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.